The Five Elements of Letting Go, the podcast. Discussing mental health openly and freely, and learning tools and techniques to find peace. So welcome everyone to The Five Elements of Letting Go. I'm Dr. Jared McCollum. My guest today is Wendy Kinsman. Uh, Wendy has been a patient at the clinic for how long now? A long time. Yeah. Um, I would say probably 2013, maybe. Okay. 2012. Yeah, so well mm-hmm. now. I invited uh, Wendy on the show today because she's she's been through some interesting experiences in her life. And, of course, I've been, you know, uh, been able to take some peeks <laughs> over the years of some of the things she's going on. And um, she's been sharing stuff and we've been working through some things and she's done so exceptionally well with how she handles things and dealing with her difficulties in her life. Um, we were talking about it and she mentioned that she'd be happy to share what she's been through here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always like to start off with asking people how they feel, how are communities dealing with mental health in general and your opinion on that? Um, I think Mental health is so difficult because you can't see it. And so I think things get swept under the rug. And I think also with mental health, people are uncomfortable. The general public could be uncomfortable with somebody with mental health because it affects your behavior. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you have diabetes, you know, it's your pancreas that's giving you a problem, you know, or (laughs) if you've got cancer or if you've got a broken arm, you can see it. And uh, I think mental health is just so hard to measure as well. I know my dear friend who you helped me through her passing, she was a physician and, and specialized in mental health. And she said, you know, it's just so difficult because you can take grand steps forward and then very quickly take steps back. Mm. I think that's an important point where there's a, some people see, you know, where if someone has, you know, diabetes, it's something people can't see, but they understand and accept, oh, it's not your fault. There's nothing you can do about it. Yes. Where if there's a very visible disability, say, you know, a a missing limb or a broken leg, people automatically see that as, you know, a disability difficulty. And they're quite willing to, you know, support or, you know, understand that person in a better way. But with illnesses that don't present quite clearly, like I have two sons with autism, it's not a clear image when people see them right away that there's something wrong. And with, with mental health, I think there's, you know, because people can't see the result or understand that condition, they judge them or think it's something that they can just fix by changing their attitude. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I agree. And I think as well, um, with not being able to, um, judge and understand, you don't know, you, you never know where you are in the process, right? Like if, if you are making, how does somebody who's having challenges let you know where they are in their journey? Because a lot of times they don't know where they are mm-hmm. in their journey. Yeah. And I think because we don't talk about it enough, people don't really understand that, you know, they're not alone. Yes. That this is a a common thing that people deal with. You know, I think for decades prior, this idea of mental health was that um, the image we have in, you know, television and movies of the uh, crazy person, Mm -hmm. the person who um, visibly says and does inappropriate things and, you know, people just stay away and hope that person doesn't show up or this or that. They thought mental health was only this, this extreme thing. Yeah. And they never talked about how it's every day. It's every day. Yeah. Absolutely every day and how you approach every day. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And it's a forever working inside. Yeah. It doesn't matter what level of mental health you have. You need to work on it yeah. every day. Yeah. How is that for you? How's your everyday? My everyday is very good. Yeah. It's very good. Um, And that's been 
it's been a long journey. It's interesting when you look back at my childhood. I had an awesome, um, you know, family of five, two sisters. Um, my mom and dad spent lots of time with us. We did camping trips. We, you know, I had uh, an awesome upbringing until I was about 13 when my dad took his own life. And uh, it's interesting. I was thinking the other day, a gentleman who lived beside my grandmother told me three days after my dad died that the fact that he committed suicide should not be something that I would share with anybody. <laughs> and I still remember that he said that to me wow. when I was 13. And luckily, I never took that to heart. Um, but the loss of my dad has always had... Um, given me opportunity to, to think a lot about like, why, like, how does somebody get to the point where they can't see two seconds past the end of their nose? Mm -hmm. They've lost all hope because if you have hope, you can see past that. And, um, of course that was, I'm 60 now. So that was quite some years ago, yeah. but, um, I think that was a beginning. It's funny. I know I've said to you, I've, I never felt abandoned. Never in mm -hmm. my life. I've never been angry with my dad for doing it. I've um, found my way to understanding, like just that whole piece of how, how hurting are you inside that you can't see past the end of your nose. And I think then that builds compassion for other people as you go along in your life and um, knowing how important mental health is. So my dad was an alcoholic. I believe that he was self-medicating. Mm -hmm. um, again, that's, we're back to 1974. Yeah. <laughs> if we didn't talk about it now, we certainly didn't talk about it then. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting as you go through life and you listen to other people's interpretation of, you know, my dad's upbringing and people like to blame other people. And it's, it, I've had a lot of exposure to being able to listen to different people's ideas and not taking that on and running with any one of them, but, you know, coming to conclusions myself. And I think he did have depression and he was self-medicating. And I truly, truly believe that he did it because he figured we would be better off without him, mm. which is very sad. Yeah. Yeah. But he was a great dad. Like I had, I think I had more of a life experience with my dad in the 13 years mm -hmm. than a lot of people have in their entire lifetime. Yeah. Well, and you even mentioned that there was some of the things he was doing with you and his behavior leading up to a suicide that made you think that he was almost trying to take advantage of the time he had left or he almost kind of knew he was. Yeah, well, running I running out of time, or I don't know that he knew he was running out of time. We could talk for hours here today, and then <laughs> with the with the history of how how things come around and come together. So, my husband, um, who we've been married since 1982, my dad took his father a gun six weeks before my dad took his own life by hanging himself. And my husband and I knew each other as children and grew up, but then he moved out west and and uh, I came out five years later and we're together. So mm. so the seeds um, that, that were planted, I don't know how much whether, I, I think it was just heavy on his mind that, you know, and, and then I went on to be a nurse for a very short period of time. And if you understand, you know, people who are truly suicidal, they... It, it's incessant on their mind. Mm -hmm. And quite often, if they try and they don't succeed, they can subside that for a little bit. Yeah. But it is, if they are intent, they will do it. And yeah. I think that was another thing that I've never felt guilty because being 13 is certainly a time when you could feel, if I had, you know, and then you've got siblings that all manage things differently. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, yeah, I've had... I think that was the beginning of my yeah. mental health balances. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, the ex limited experience I've had with suicide 
Um, of course, I've had, you know, over the years, a number of patients coming in and sitting down and saying, I want to take my own life. Yes. And there's a difference between those that, you know, have suicidal thoughts, think about it, all of that, then that point where I want to kill myself today. And I think there's, you know, a much higher number than we would believe that consider and think about suicide. Yes. And yes. think of it about an option and comes through their thoughts every now and then. It's, it's a much higher number than we believe. But then those that get in that position where, you know, in that state where they, if they had a tool, if they had a method yes. readily, readily available, they would do it. And I, and I believe from, you know, that that state of mind, it's not very long, whether it's 24 hours or 48 hours, you know, getting people past that point, helping, you know, uh, and whether or not they want help in that time period is different. Right? Exactly. You know, exactly. Sometimes it gets so bad, they avoid everyone mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they know if they do see someone they love or see family, that's going to, you know, put them in that position where they, they can't do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, so, we don't know enough about it yes. because we won't talk about it. Yes. We don't research it. We make it so taboo yes. that it's still something that has been going on for millions of years. years. Yes. And it's that one, you know, it's one of the leading cause. It's the number one cause of death for young men. Yes. It's, it, it is such a problem, but yet still we won't talk about it. Yeah. And I, th- I think talking is, is a big part of mental health period. Yeah. Whether it's suicidal or you're having, you know, a bad day or, you know, to whatever level you have it, it is being able to talk and having somebody who can help you piece things together. Mm-hmm. So, um, I know just when we were talking about what works for us, um, Joanne, my dear friend who passed in 2014, we were 16 years apart. Our kids were the same age. And um, other than my husband, she is the most connected person I've ever been to on this plane. Mm-hmm. And uh, we shared a lot together. And she was just so brilliant with bringing to this just something very simple. Right. So it doesn't have to be complicated. Mm-hmm. And I've said to you, you give that to me now, <laughs> which is which is very um, it, it's a great gift, a gift to have that. Right. To say a few words, but have them have meaning or to tap in. And uh, when the, the one of the biggest parts of managing my father's suicide was um, when I had my children and I was marching through, you know, raising them and you've got a roadmap and you've got a very joyful, happy family household to follow. And then all of a sudden your child is, you know, 11, 12, 13, where things started going off the tracks Mm -hmm. for me um, as a teenager. And so I thought, oh, I I lost my roadmap. Right. Like, what am I going to do now? So I was very, really floundering um, when I found out my dad was an alcoholic when he when I was 11. Um, he was a very he was an absolute functioning alcoholic. So my mom and dad had to tell the three of us girls that he was an alcoholic. So, um, you know, how high functioning he was. Um, and so I went to uh, AA with him for two, three years. Um, that was my way of supporting him. And that also gave me huge insight to people telling their stories, you know, hitting rock bottom, um, and then climbing their way back out. And I know they say alcoholism is a disease, but I don't know disease of mental illness disease or the physiology of it. I Mm -hmm. I don't know, but I, I know that, um, there is definitely a mental health component yeah. with that. So once I, once my children hit, my son specifically, who's the eldest, hit, you know, 11, 12, I started not being me. 
And I remember looking in the mirror, and I think this is a big piece about how I keep my balance. I keep very connected to myself. And uh, I looked in the mirror and go, like, you are not being the mom that you are. And so I talked to Joanne about it. And she said, well, you know, as you go along your life and your children come to ages that you're uh, where you may have stumbled or had some challenges, they make you remember that. And so he was, he was making me remember and both my children and I have a very close relationship. And the reason we do is because we talk. Mm -hmm. So again, when he was 13 or 14, we sat down and I said, I need to talk to you. I need to tell you what is going on with me. And I said, you're going to think this is ridiculous, but I am really angry with you for being 13. (laughs) (laughs) And he looked at me and he goes, what do you mean? And so I told him about my dad at that point. And I think I may have told him prior to that, how my dad had passed away um, at his own hand, but hadn't talked a lot about my experience with it. So I said to to my son, I said, you are making me relive a very difficult time in my life. And I don't want that for you, but I don't know what the opposite looks like. <laughs> I, I've lost my map. Mm-hmm. And so I said, when you, like my dad was not falling down drunk. He wasn't, he was never um, physical, but he wouldn't come home. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was that, that instability, mm-hmm. that uncertainty mm-hmm. of living with, would he come home tonight? Yeah. If not tonight, is he okay? Is he going to be here tomorrow? Right? So that piece. So I said to my son, so when you are like wanting to go the door to get to soccer practice, I inside am thinking, you have no idea, <laughs> you know, what, how thankful you should be. And then I think that's silly because he, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. <laughs> right? But it's spending that time of figuring it out. So my Friend Joanne said, you know, as you go through those difficult times, you need to take them out and you need to look at them. And you need to step in to the discomfort. And then you need to tuck it back in, right? You you don't put it in pails around your feet (laughs) that you're going to have to drag, right? Mm -hmm. That's not who you are. My dad taking his life has never defined who I am. Um, but I think that that would be an easy thing to fall into. I think there's a lot of subconscious behaviors and thoughts we have from our upbringing Mm -hmm. that if we don't, you know, aren't honest with ourselves and recognize Mm -hmm. how those are affecting us, we pass it on to our kids or Mm -hmm. those hangups come up and we don't even know it. Yes. Yeah. One of the greatest gifts I've ever had as a parent, my son said to me, uh, I don't know how many years ago. I don't think he was a father yet. But he said to me, your dad died when you were 14, right? And I said, yes, I turned 14 shortly after. And he goes, and you had me when you were 21. And I said, yes. And he said, seven years later. (laughs) And I said, yes. And he said, And you have, that has never affected, that has never come into my life. Hmm. And so I had done what I wanted to do, right? I wanted to not, not carry that. And, and I think he had had experience with other families where it had happened a generation before, or even a generation before that. And people were still being affected by it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I know my dad would never have wanted us to be affected and he would have never wanted to cause the pain but that also shows how much pain somebody is in mm-hmm. right yeah and one thing too that i hear a lot about suicide and again this may ruffle some feathers to some listeners but i hear this constantly about how suicide is such a selfish act mm-hmm. and because they only see it from their point of view because mm-hmm. they're like oh well you do that and then you leave all these people behind mm-hmm. that now have to suffer and deal with that. And mm-hmm. I'm like, 
what is the difference between someone dying from cancer mm-hmm. and leaves everyone behind? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I think they get caught up in their head that, you know, suicide is this clear choice <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that no. people make. Yes. This is something that has built up, a, a, you know, an, an illness for some time, a mental illness for some time. And then they, for them, the only way out, the only release is, you know, and they think it's a, a pity, an act of love. Mm-hmm. Because exactly. they think I am bringing everyone down. Yes. I can't be the parent. I can't, I need to be, I can't be the support. I'm, I'm causing more suffering. Yes. Alive here. than the suffering I would cause if I was passed. Whether that's true or not, we don't know. We don't know. No. You know? Although I would, it, um, I had a very, very interesting experience in Costa Rica, probably six years ago now, five years ago. Um, we were taking subsurfing lessons and um, the young man who was teaching us, a young man, he's in his early 40s. <laughs> and, um, you know, when you meet somebody, he got out of the car that morning and I looked in his eyes and I went, oh, I am supposed to meet you. Oh, I, neat. I, yeah. I, I did not, I had no idea why, but it was just that energy was like, we have something to talk about. Hmm. And uh, so we went out to this small bay. And as we're driving, he tells me, he starts to give us some insight into his life. And he is an alcoholic. And the next day was his ninth year of sobriety. Oh, wow. And we went to the, to the beach where he like hit his bottom. Mm-hmm. And we just connected. And I felt like he, he too talked about, like, I should not be here, right? I, I, I can't fight this demon anymore. I'm exhausted. I'm done. And people would be better off without me. And I got to look him in the eye and say, Jose, you know that that is not the truth. So I felt like I could say to him what I would have wanted to say to my dad if I had had that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. But again, him being very open about his challenges Mm -hmm. and, um, and it was not about, this is just who I am. Right. And, and this is, I love supping and, you know, this is my life now. And, but I work at it every day. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so interesting because most people would say, what an inappropriate thing for someone to say to someone they just met. Yeah, But at the same time, if we can be open and honest about these things, yes. you know, one of the things I love, uh, I'm sure you, some of our listeners may have seen this. Um, I'm trying to remember her name right now. Um, oh, gee, I lost her name. But she did a TED Talk on vulnerability. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, um, mm-hmm. you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, Brene. And, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. And of course, now she's written several books about mm-hmm. communication and connection and all this, but there's something there, you know, the, the most common thing on making instant connection with people and, and building friendships is vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And when we can be honest and open with people, not only do we create better connections and bonds with people, but that honest and open, it helps people to feel safe and open that too do the same pattern, you know, especially when it comes to struggles like alcoholism and mental illness and stuff like that. If you can be honest and open to people, then it lets them know, oh, okay, everyone else isn't perfect. I'm not the only one that's broken. (laughs) Exactly. We all, like I said to my husband, everybody's got something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We all have struggles in some way and to not be judged by Mm -hmm. those struggles. Yeah. I often, like in my course, there's a whole section where I talk about how we're all addicts. Mm-hmm. Everyone has an addiction. Mm-hmm. Some of their addictions are, um, you know, ones that aren't acceptable in mm-hmm. society. And a lot of them, a lot of addictions that people have are acceptable. Mm-hmm. And they're all the same thing. It's we're using something external to try to get control or balance over our lives. Mm-hmm. And this particular addiction, whatever it may be, food, alcohol, um, cigarettes, sex, whatever it is, you're using something to help you feel different and get out of that funk. 
Mm-hmm. So you don't feel that thing that hurts. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's a, a wide variety of things, running, exercise, yes. <laughs> where people yes. are using it um, and they're getting beneficial you know, outcome out of some of those positive addictions we think of. But still, they're using that as a way to hide from. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're ste- hurt. There's not. They're not stepping in. And if you step in and you're brave, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, the experiences that I've had um, when I was saying the the things that you've given me, helping me when Joanne was passing away. And I, I had three people in my life, one um, work, one family and one dearest friend. All three, um, you know, terminally ill and dying within a four-year period of time, three-year mm-hmm. period of time, and they all passed away six months after each other. And you helped me through that that process. And Joe, um, who you know, d- just gave clarity and 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 helped me. She sh- she prepared me. Her journey. She prepared me for what was to come afterwards. And I remember having to go up to the hospital one day to talk to her about something very difficult. And you had done my reading and had done my treatment. And mm-hmm. I said, so what emotions are that? At that mm-hmm. point, I would ask you, yeah. uh, but it was always later because I was just trying to, to figure out. And, mm-hmm. and you had said um, fear and grief. And I went, well, that's appropriate for today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, but you said, you know, there, there's never been... Uh, active courage that hasn't had fear behind it. And I still today remember standing in front of Foothills Hospital with my, I'm a ground person, Mm -hmm. you know, planting my feet as firmly as I could on the ground and and scooping up that fear Mm -hmm. and channeling it into courage and going in. And I look at the life experience that I had with with Joanne and that what that has given me with other people, with the two other people that passed afterwards. Um, there's no fear about death. It's just a, a lot of acceptance. So the more you can talk about it, the more you can step into it. Um, self-awareness, own what you're doing. Yeah. You know, like all of those things um, and, and self-awareness and, and knowing how you're contributing to something it, it is being vulnerable as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine losing, you know, because all three of those people were pretty important people in your life. Mm-hmm. How did you, you know, like by the time you're getting to the second and third person mm-hmm. <laughs> that you lose, mm-hmm. you know, like, I remember you feeling very confident at the end of all of this that, well, it always comes in threes, so I'm going to be okay after okay. this. <laughs> yeah. But did you ever, you know, did you feel, I think just the universe is piling on me. This is too much to bear. How were you during all of that? Yeah, I didn't feel that. Um, I said to my husband, I'm supposed to be learning this. You know, mm-hmm. there there is nowhere to run. Yeah. Right? So sometimes you can have chaos in your personal life and you can go get busy at work or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And in every facet of my life, it was there, right? So loss was there. So I said, I am supposed to learn how to be present Mm -hmm. in the process. And, and it was very interesting because Joanne, probably four years before she had a lot of um, physical challenges, her life through. And um, she said to me once, you know, the North American culture, they're the only ones that think that death is optional. Yeah. And I looked at her (laughs) and I said, that is so true, right? Because people say, if I die, yeah, not when. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, other cultures really take and embrace that period of time, that celebration, right? Just as, as much as we celebrate being somebody being pregnant and and bringing that beautiful life into the world, yeah. we need to embrace and say goodbye to that beautiful life leaving. Mm-hmm. And um, from being present, and and I do think the 
acupuncture, how my body really likes it. I, I think we have good energy. I think that was a very solid piece that gave me assistance um, going through. And then just being extremely present. I never looked at what's tomorrow going to be, what's next week going to be. Like, I couldn't plan anything. It was just, I don't know what tomorrow, all mm-hmm. three of my only stress was if all three of them needed me at the same, same time. time because I was running a business who the one person was related to. Mm-hmm. And my family member was my father's only sister. And so I was going back and forth to Ontario to help her um, because my dad wasn't here. And I know he would have done it if he wasn't, if he was here. And so that was my concern. But like I got, because I was brave and because I, I, I took that fear and said, I'm going to, you need to leave, right? I need to be here. You know, we, Joe and I, we had, you know, talks. I remember sit, her sitting on the bed two nights before she passed and she said, you know, where do we go from here? And I said, well, they've taken all of your support systems away because she had a lot of infection. And, and, uh, and I said, so, you know, I think, I think we know we're coming to the end. And so it was a very open, it wasn't, you know, it's okay to have tears, but it wasn't blubbering tear. I wasn't, through the whole process, I was never emotional because I was afraid. Mm-hmm. I was emotional because it was true sadness that was coming. I love you very much and you're not going to be here anymore. But with all three of them, I remember going to my um, medical doctor and he looked at me and he went, wow, you are doing well. And I said, for you know, having lost three people in 18 months, and I said, it's because I was present. Mm-hmm. I grieved all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't try and to I save it And I told them I was and, sad. Yeah. And that I loved them. And, and again, it just all came to talking. I think we think a lot of people feel I have to be strong for that person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why a lot of people have such a difficulty letting go and grieving afterwards because they didn't grieve with that person. Mm-hmm. Like if you can grieve, like to have that luxury, mm-hmm. to know they're leaving and to have that time. Mm-hmm. you know, to be with them and to cry with them and say goodbye and, you know, get all that out beforehand, I would imagine it would be so much more healing than to lose them suddenly and not have that opportunity to grieve and, and let go with them there. Yes, yes. And to, to fear that and to try to be too, you know, try to be strong and not go there and, and share those vulnerabilities with that person before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I could imagine it just make it so much more difficult yeah. for someone to heal afterwards. And you can be strong for the person, but there's nothing wrong with them seeing. I mean, walking around being a wilting, crying, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> being is not being helpful. No. <laughs> right? Yeah. But but to have those moments and for them to understand that you are with them. Yeah. And it's also very interesting because now I'm going through with my mom. Um, who has dementia, who's 90, but I believe it's Louie body. Um, so she she doesn't lose her her ability to write to her short-term memory. Mm-hmm. Um, we're having amazing conversations, yeah. amazing conversations about she knows that she's at the end of her life. It, she may be here for another 10 years. We don't yeah. know. But um, again, all those experiences that I had with those other people, I've known now i know what it's like you mm-hmm. know to have walked in and with my nursing i had experienced death before but not like when you're trying when you want to ask somebody something yeah you know but what is the process like because it like suicide is a big mystery mm-hmm. as well right yeah yeah you know we're in other traditional cultures they have uh you know a process mm-hmm. that everyone goes through um, if they know someone is dying mm-hmm. or even, you know, again, they accept death in a much more understanding and, you know, that it's a new journey. It's a new step and there's less fear and more acceptance. And in some cultures, even a bit of an excitement mm-hmm. about this path that no one knows where you're going. 
Yes. And <laughs> yes. to be able to, you know, uh, take that next step with some, you know, rather than fear and sadness to have, you know, it, just like that next transition with anything in our life. It's, mm-hmm. it's normal. It's natural. Yeah. Yeah. And you just, I think the fear is of being left behind and not knowing what it's going to look like without that, mm-hmm. you know, having that support person. Mm-hmm. That's a big fear. I will say with each person that I've been with as they've passed, nobody has said, I need to die. Everybody says, I, I shouldn't say everybody, all that I have experienced. If yeah. they're saying something, they say, I need to leave mm-hmm. or I need to go. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That's yes. very common. <laughs> yes. So yes. <laughs> what is that? Is that something that, you know, like I wonder, because I think the veil is a little thinner before we die. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for some, because death, when we say die, we feel it's so permanent. Mm-hmm. We feel it's so, it's like an end. Mm-hmm. But when you say something like, I need to leave, or I need to go, mm-hmm. it's because in your mind, there's somewhere you're going. Mm-hmm. There's, mm-hmm. you know, can they, can they feel, can they, can they see that there's this, you know, just on the other side, there's, there's this place I'm going to, Yes. you know, don't fear of, you know, I'm being called or whatever. Yeah. It's interesting. Whatever it is, because there is that energy, right? So my children are very scientific. Um, so, you know, we've had interesting conversations about um, when your physical body is not functioning here on this earth anymore, yeah. you know, where do you go? And I said, well, there's energy in me and we know that energy cannot be created or destroyed. So, yeah. you know, wh- where where is that mm-hmm. that energy going to? Yeah. 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 I've always... Of course, I was raised very strict Mormon, so we had very strict belief on where that's going. And, you know, I've left all that uh, years ago. But I, again, because we don't know and no one has come back and said, this is what happens. That's right. I think, again, I always think that that um, distraction of focusing on where we're going next mm-hmm. takes away from this life in a way, mm-hmm. you know, that we're, yes. we're too worried about where we're going after this life rather than focusing on, okay, what am I doing in this life? Yeah. What, how can I make this life better? How can I really connect with people? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I know in my faith, there's others <laughs> because everyone's, everyone's going to get resurrected, you know, your marriage is forever. So, and, and when it ends, you're both going to be perfect. So, you know, put up with each other's junk now because after you die, you'll be resurrected and you'll be perfect and you'll be together forever. <laughs> and to me, that always seems so weird, weird. Yes. because I'm like, so we're not supposed to try. <laughs> uh, yes. Just put up with those things. Cause later mm-hmm. on your, your spells will be perfect or whatever that I'm going to be put up with my crap because I'll be perfect later. Yeah. But I just, yeah, that never just set, set well with me because to me it's, you know, we should all t- always try to be, you know, together and connected in this moment, in this mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. and not be st- what- distracted by this idea that we don't have any, you know, there's got to be something. I don't know what that is, mm-hmm. but um, why, why focus on that? Mm-hmm. Let's focus on now, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and some people I know may not agree with that, but that's, that's where I said. I think the biggest thing with with death, again, I mean, you can look at death, like you said, if it's suicide, somebody by their own hand or dying of cancer, um, there's a lot of fear around death for the people that are left. And it is how am I going to put the pieces together, mm-hmm. right? It's It may be I'm going to miss you, but I think the underlying piece is fear, of how am I going to, and you can see how that fear comes in depending on where you are in your world, yeah. right? If you're a parent with little ones, you know, how am I going to put one foot in front of another if you are not here? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think the the biggest thing for me with balance is that I participate 
every day in myself. And I, if something is not right, I don't, I think about it. Right. I, I don't let it lie. Mm-hmm, I go, mm-hmm. no, something's going on. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So how am I going to piece this together? Yeah. 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 There's, um, I don't know. It's, it's, I do think it's because we fear death so much and we won't talk about it. There's not, we're not preparing for that yes. inevitability. So there is greater fear of what's going to happen. I'm going to be alone. How do I do this? Mm-hmm. Because it's not something that we feel we can share and talk about and prepare for. Because mm-hmm. if you're preparing for death, that's morbid. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like you can't go there because yeah. you're supposed to just expect that you're going to live forever and everything's going to be okay. But and, we aren't. And then <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how many patients uh, I've had over the years that are in their late eighties, nineties, whose husbands have just passed away and they didn't know how to pay a bill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They didn't know how to use anything. They, and then they spent the next year cussing and swearing at their husband <laughs> who's dead piece them together because yes. they, he, you know, had left them so unprepared mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it was just something you just didn't talk about and prepare for. Yes. And um, they felt very lost and that grieving was even harder. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think too, um, oh, I just lost my train of thought. Yeah. That's okay. And I'll come back. It's about the suicide part. Yeah. Oh, um, you know, I I think the the other big part about any mental um, dealing with somebody with mental illness, like it would be a very interesting conversation for you to have a conversation with my mom, not now because mm-hmm. she has uh, the level of dementia. Yeah. But her being the wife. Yeah. That was left with three teenage daughters. Yeah. And then also, and I mean you can understand the huge respect that I have for her. Yeah. And, you know, I said to her, she said, um, one day she said to me, Oh, you're so helpful. And I said, mom, I have lived my life every day knowing that you were two seconds away to help me. Mm -hmm. And I said, that is a great gift to have to walk your life with knowing that. And she turned to me and she had a pillow in her arms and she said, it's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I will hold that memory <laughs> forever and yeah. ever. But she never spoke poorly of my dad. She, um, she supported us. Like, so I know too, as well in my journey that I had a lot of gifts that not everybody has. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, yeah, she was always very supportive of my of my dad. On his gravestone, it says "Peace at last." Yeah, and that's she. She just knew that he was, uh, you know, he had the depression or whatever underlying um, mental illness, and that he could not see find yeah. his way through. And she did not blame him, or there was never, you know, he left us and or poor me. It was well, what a gift one to foot, you. I know, you know, because. That could have been an, you know, I'm sure in some ways others would be very bitter. Exactly. And blaming and angry and, you know, push that viewpoint upon their children. Exactly. And then they grow up with this fear of alcohol. They yes. grow up with this, you know, um, disconnect from their father, blaming him, his, you know, all this. And just, I can't imagine how toxic that, you know, any other approach could have, you know, affected you later in your life. Yes. In your relationships. So having that with my mom allowed me to emulate that with my son. Yeah. Where my son said, but I don't have, right? Like you have not let it affect my life. Yeah. Yeah. Because my mother showed me the way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, um, and when you talk about being afraid of alcohol or both of my children, I had conversations with them at a very not a super young age, but a young enough age, probably 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, you've got uh, on your side, on my side of the family, you've got my my dad who is an alcoholic. I said, on your dad's side of the family, there is alcoholism. 
alcohol needs to be respected, period. Yeah. Doesn't mean that you don't partake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just, you need to understand you got some genetics happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and they've both, you know, been very respectful through it. But I think another big part of the mental illness piece that we're really lacking is support for people who are dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Because when I look at uh, going to AA, I learned a lot. Yeah. And at, at 13. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I 11 when you started. Yeah. Yeah. It is cunning, yeah. right? The addict will do what the addict needs to do mm-hmm. to get what they need. Yeah. So um, as I've gone through, like I said, with my um, with other family members, you know, you you understand, right? When you ask somebody to come out and visit their grandchildren and they don't come, it's because if they come, they can't drink. Yeah. But I didn't hold it against her, her, um, my husband's mom, because I knew it was not her. It was the alcohol. Yeah. Right. So, so then you have that forgiveness, that compassion, yeah. that mm-hmm. understanding. It doesn't mean you need to tolerate it. And I talked to my children early about it and said, you know, I'm not enabling anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But understanding that, you know, with, with anything, if somebody has an addiction, they are going to lie yeah, and they are going to do whatever they need to do to get it. Yeah. But it's not the person. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's uh, like there's uh, there's a book by Dr. Gabor Monte mm-hmm. and it's called Hungry Ghosts. And he's a physician who's he practiced for years in um uh, East Vancouver, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like oh, right East in that, Hastings, yeah. re, East Hastings, mm-hmm. that whole area. He worked at a rehab facility there, not not necessarily re, like a halfway home. Mm-hmm. And so his job was to give, you know, the healthcare. He was the doctor for all these homeless people, mm-hmm. and you know, so he studied this for decades. Mm-hmm. And his books and his, his his research and the teachings he gives are fascinating. But he has. What he found is like 95%, if not higher, of all the addicts he had ever dealt with over the years all had the same thing in common. All of them had suffered uh, physical or mental abuse in some way mm-hmm. or sexual abuse. Yes. And the drug, whatever drug it was, whether it was alcohol, whether it was heroin, you know, he, they were using these drugs because during, while they were high or drunk, they no longer felt that trauma mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they used the substance as a way to, you know, be free of that trauma, those memories, those feelings, whatever it was. Yes. And when the trauma is that harmful and, and, and devastating and just tears you up inside to even have minutes of relief. Yes. You know? Yes. And we don't understand that if we've never gone through trauma mm-hmm. in that way. And, you know, this is where, you know, it kind of gives us a different perspective on, you know, oh, it's it's this genetic, you know, you have the alcoholism gene. Mm-hmm. Well, just like, you know, people say, well, I'm I'm big because my mom was big. Well, are you big because you eat the same way your mom always did? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yes. Are you an alcoholic because your father was because the trauma that is being passed down from family to family isn't yes. being broken? Yes. Where yeah. your mother or us off to break that, that trauma. Yes. And, and I would say before that, my father worked to break he was that tra- yeah. trauma. Yeah. Because, um, and again, it's hearsay yeah. for what he experienced as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't there. I'm not going to pass judgment. Yeah. But I don't think it was easy yeah. from what I understand. And so, you know, that poem where it says, you know, if a child is raised with this, they will know deceit or you yeah. know that. Mm-hmm. I read that. My father broke everything. Yeah. And I've said to my husband, I said, I think maybe he was just exhausted, mm-hmm. right? Like from fighting of I am not doing this. Yeah. And maybe I got a bit of a glimpse of that with my son thinking, I don't want to repeat my life experience, mm-hmm. which was minuscule. I mean, I, I've never you know, had to endure any form of, of abuse. 
um, physical or, or mental abuse. So, you know, if if my dad was fighting against that, and and then my mom carried that on, and then yeah, so you just need to get the the beginnings of it to start mm-hmm. breaking the cycle. But then people need to talk about it, and when people need to talk talk about it, they need to be talking to somebody who needs to understand how to receive that information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's a very delicate thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember as a student studying acupuncture. Um, you know, we had some professors that would treat mental emotional conditions, and some that just wouldn't go there. Because mm-hmm. even was that fifteen years ago when I started school, it was still something that a lot of people weren't comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And I remember one professor saying, "You know, if you're going to." Treat these things. If you're going to start this conversation, mm-hmm. you have to be ready and prepared to be there for that person. Mm-hmm. Because if it gets scary and you panic and you shut things down mm-hmm. and you say, I can't help you, you're going to make things 10 times worse. Yes. So you have to be, if you're going to be there for that person and you're always saying, I'm ready to do this and, and, and share these things or try to help you. Mm-hmm. You have to keep the door open. Yes, yes. <laughs> and you have to receive that information. And you may not know the right thing to do or the how to fix it for that patient. But you mm-hmm. have to hold, you know, their words. You have to hold their their their, their spirit during this time and support them. Mm-hmm. And uh, just let them know you're here. Don't show that fear. Don't show panic. Don't freak out. Yes. You know, it's because <laughs> I think, and, and this is very true for any conversation with anyone. We have friends, loved ones mm-hmm. who are being vulnerable and showing us mm-hmm. their pain. Mm-hmm. We, because I think there's a lot of people that just like put their fingers in their ears and saying, I don't want to hear this. I don't know how to help you. I don't know how to fix you. Don't talk about it. And I can't believe how devastating that would be for someone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think enough. they're doing it because they're afraid. Yeah. Right. You are reacting to that person because you are telling me something that I don't understand. I don't know. And I don't know how to help you. Mm-hmm. So I want to run away. Yeah. Right. So, again, you know, being fear. So I think, you know, back to the beginning of the conversation of what is mental health today. I think we need to have huge supports for families where people can talk, mm-hmm. but in a very healthy environment, not an environment that's keeping you. You know, you can't have, um, you, you need to have an environment where we're moving forward, yeah. not where we're, okay, I'm going to stay here because this is comfortable, Yeah. right? It has to be that vulnerability piece that everybody, okay, we're going to hold hands and we are going to walk through this together. Yeah. Um, because I think as well, if you have a loved one that has mental illness of, that it, and when I, everybody has some, some level, but where mm-hmm. that's actually affecting their, their day to day life. You yeah. know, I think there can be great benefit in saying, I don't know how to help you, but I'm going to try yeah. and we can go through this together. Yeah. So it's not like there's something wrong with you yeah. and I'm going to fix you. Mm-hmm. It is, we're going to go together yeah. with this. And then I think that also opens up if you are actively participating, you can call somebody on it, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's bull, yeah. right? Like you can't behave like that anymore. Yeah. I, I had a client who had a son um, who she knew that he had mental health issues when he was three, three or four. She could see things, chemical imbalances, mm-hmm. um, you know, where he would be sitting in the kitchen and say to her, I'm going to do this and then you're going to do this. And then like he was going to be bad, like he was Mm -hmm. going to have bad behavior. And um, he had uh, his first psychotic break at 13. And, you know, just watching that journey that they have gone through together of saying, no, you, before you didn't know, Right, that there was something wrong mm-hmm. chemically. Yeah. There is something wrong. It's not you. It's your body. It's your brain. It's it's an organ. Um, but now you need to participate because now we do know. So now you need to participate, and then them walking that yeah. together. We need to understand this together, and I'm going to 
call you, you know, learned behavior of getting what you need because if you get into the addiction part mm -hmm. with the mental illness, right? Yeah. When people are lying, then it's not like, okay, no, I'm going to call you on it. Yeah. You're going to own it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And if there's that shared understanding, shared support, mm -hmm. you know, shared treatment, then yeah, you can be that person to, you know, call each other out on your stuff. Yeah. To help you both heal. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's finding the right person because it doesn't always have to be yeah. somebody in your family. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like you, you need to find the right person who gets you, who understands you and who, um, in my work, I've had clients who called me and they said, I'm calling you because I know you'll tell me the truth. <laughs> yeah. Right. When they yeah. ask a question about, yeah, should mm -hmm. I be, what do you think? Do you yeah. think this was appropriate or, or do you think I should be doing this or whatever? So you need to have somebody who will support you and not tell you what you want to hear, yeah. but perhaps maybe what you should hear. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. That's a, I think that's a nice little bow. Yeah. <laughs> on this whole conversation. Yeah. yeah. That's some great advice. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. To have been through all of that and to, be where you are is amazing. And of course, a lot of it's, you know, the, the preparation your father gave you, mm -hmm. your mother supporting through all that and to, you know, just still be such a lovely, balanced person. Thank you so much. Very welcome. I Thank appreciate you. your time. Thank you. All right. Everyone have a great day. Um, it was really wonderful speaking with Wendy Kinsman. Thank you. Thanks. Well, I really enjoyed that time with Wendy Kinsman. I, again, as you've heard previously, she's been a patient for quite a number of years and she usually comes visits me uh, about once a month. And I always look forward to Wendy's visits. She is a very grounded, very positive and powerful soul. And I think she's um, a great teacher and listener and, uh, you know, someone we can all learn from. I'm very grateful for her openness and her honesty and sharing everything she did with us. You know, it's stories like that and the experiences people go through that remind us that we are very powerful, that we have a great deal of ability within us that when we call upon it and put it into action, we can overcome great difficulties and she is an example of that, and I'm in awe of what she's been through and what she's overcome and uh, the person that she is, uh, despite all of those troubles and all of that loss. And I hope we can learn from this. And, you know, it reminds me of in the course, we talk about the difference between grief and mourning. And, you know, with every extreme emotion, Grief is something that is brought on to teach us something. It is a signal of perceived imbalance. It signals to us that what we have lost is very important to us, very dear, and that we need to uh, show honor to it and that it's something that we should try to remember and that it really has become a part of who we are. Now, grief is something that we just get stuck in and we can't move forward from. So we want to transform the energy from grief, that sensation that comes on to let us know that something was special to us, but then transform it into the act of mourning. Now, I define these two differently, and some people think them as the same thing. But to me, mourning is that continual act um, as we move forward. So when you think of someone you've lost or a smell or a taste or a song or anything that brings you back to them and reminds you that they're not here. Some people, if they're imbalanced and they're stuck in grief, it draws them right back to that moment, right back to the past. And they're stuck in the past thinking of what, what they've lost. Where if someone is practicing mourning, the act of mourning, when those triggers come back, it doesn't remind them of the loss it reminds them that they're still there always, that their memory and their experience and their lessons and the joys that we've had with them are still there with us, in us, and that these small things each day 
can remind us and bring us back to them. And to me, that is a wonderful gift. And it's taking that energy from that extreme emotion and doing something with it that can benefit us and help us move forward. And the act of mourning is that. And so I invite all of us to look at those things that we're stuck in from the past. Look at those things that we are grieving still and do your best to transform them into the act of mourning so that we can let go and move on and honor those things that we've lost and carry them with us rather than being stuck in the past and in the pain of that loss. Thank you again for listening, everyone. Um, We are grateful for all the new listeners that we have and uh, getting the word out about the podcast. Uh, We've got some really interesting guests coming up. Uh, In fact, this evening, I'm interviewing uh, Jamie Hall, who is, uh, I guess, (laughs) I'm trying to remember his title for the Chamber of Commerce. Um, He's basically the one who runs everything there now. I uh, used to work for the radio station. He's a fantastic fellow, and I'm really um, looking forward to hearing uh, his experiences. So thank you, everyone. Um, to learn more about the podcast and my other podcasts, you can go to jaredmccollum.com and learn more about my practice here in Okotoks and uh, learn more about the course. And all those links will be in the description below. Thank you so much, everyone. Take care. Remember to be kind. Remember to be patient and find someone to love today. Thank you. Have a great night.